The Guardian. Support for this podcast comes from Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes creating a professional website for your business, personal brand or portfolio so easy, it's newsworthy. Go to squarespace.com and use the offer Guardian to get 10% off. As the season of literary log-rolling draws to its close, we take a satirical look at eight of the big books of the year with The Guardian's John Crace and try to digest what they reveal about the state we're in at the end of 2014. It's the colourless Tsukuru Tazaki and his years of pilgrimage from the Japanese writer who put the cult into culture, Haruki Murakami. From the July of his sophomore year in college, Sukuru Tazaki spent six months trying to die. Disappointed at his failure, he then spent the next 15 years trying not to live. This he did exceedingly well, especially on the page. The reason for his extreme existential ennui was that his four closest friends, Aka, Ao, Shiro and Kuro, from whom he had been inseparable for ten years, had announced they didn't want to speak to him ever again. Rather than ask them why, he decided the fault lay in his name. Aka meant red, Ao meant blue, Shiro meant black, and Kuro meant white. His name had no colour. It just meant making a mountain out of a molehill. I am colourless, he thought. By the time he had reached his late thirties, Sukuru had visited nearly every railway station in Japan and had designed a notice board on a suburban platform outside Tokyo. More impressively, he had finally met a woman who didn't think it was about time he grew up a bit and stopped taking Camus so personally. I think I quite like you, he told Sarah, as he entered her vagina that was unnecessarily described in terms of excessive moistness. I quite like you too, she replied, though I can't help feeling you're rather detached and have unresolved personal issues. As the great teacher Donald Rumsfeld once said, there are no knowns. There are things that we know that we know. We also know that there are known unknowns. That is to say, we know there are some things we do not know. But there are also unknown unknowns, the ones we don't know we don't know. Truly, that is very deep, Grasshopper. Did I tell you about another friend I had called Haida? It's not going to involve a dream, is it? I'm afraid so. I had this friend called Haida whom I met while swimming. He was exceedingly deep as well. We often listen to a Liszt piano piece that Shiro used to play while discussing the mysteries of the world. I once dreamed that I was having sex with Shiro and Kuro, and that I awoke to find Haida sucking me off. Was that last bit also a dream? Who knows? He disappeared without saying a word, and I never saw him again either. Did it never occur to you to get in touch with all these people who left you? No. In any case, how could I do so? It just so happens I've googled a lot of them. Here are their addresses. You'll struggle to meet Shiro as she was strangled three years ago. Sukuru took the bullet train to Nagoya, reflecting on the perfection of the coffee he was drinking. Ao was working in Alexa's showroom. How come you never told me why you stopped talking to me? 
Sakura inquired. Because you never asked, Ao replied. It was because Shiro said you raped her. I didn't. I know. Sakura travelled across the city to meet Aka. I didn't rape Shiro, he said. I know that, Aka said. Water under the bridge. No one likes me either now I'm a successful corporate trainer. It was a while before Sakura could travel to Finland to see Kuro, and in the meantime he saw Sara holding hands with another man. He wondered if he should say something, but decided against it. I didn't rape her, Sakura told Kuro. I never thought you did. I only sided with Shiro because I thought she was a bit unstable. Perhaps, though, in a way I did rape her. In the same way, maybe I did even murder her. Perhaps we all did. That's staggeringly insightful. I'm now feeling completely resolved and on a new spiritual level. On his return to Japan, Sakuru felt he had a bit more colour about him. He phoned Sara. I'm ready to commit to a long-term loving relationship with you. Can you tell me if you are seeing another man? Sara paused. I will call you in three days and let you know. That was Chris Moran reading John Crace's digested read of The Colourless Tsukuru. I'm not going to pronounce the rest of it because I might get it wrong. <laughs> I'm joined in the studio by long-term Murakami fan and commissioning editor Dale Sauer. Dale, are you one of the super fans who queued around the block for the midnight release of this novel? <laughs> not quite. They have read his books for a long time and they do always stick with me. And reviewing it in The Guardian, Mark Lawson wrote, almost without precedent in modern times, he's combined giddy popularity in Japan. His novels can sell one million copies in the week of publication with the literary prestige of admiring reviews from giants such as Updike. What is his special appeal? I think it's a strange mixture of something being incredibly easy to read and accessible and very kind of contemporary. He talks a lot about music, about film, about very familiar contemporary things, but also a deep strangeness. It's not a strangeness that's um, obscure. The familiarity of his style almost disguises that strangeness. Do you think he's, he, part of his appeal is that he is readable to people who come from other cultures, like from film culture yeah, or definitely. music culture, yeah. rather than being sort of pure literary people? I, re- I just recently reread a review that was written in 1997 when he wasn't that well-known abroad. And the reviewer was saying, if you read him, you wouldn't know that he was Japanese, which to me sounds really odd now because he's so super famous that of course everyone knows that. But the guy was starting from the premise that his references and his, his style made you forget his origin completely. I thought that was quite interesting. So he belongs very much to the, to the to modern now. sensibility to yeah. now. And, yeah. But he's now 65 and he, this is his 13th novel. Yeah. Do you think he's lost his mojo? John makes it all sound a bit colourless. I don't think so at all. I think you've, uh, I found the things that John focused on were things that I'd probably forget once I'd read it. They're the things, you know, the sex people always in reviews tend to pick up on that, but those are never the details that I remember years after having read one of his books. Oh, that's, that's very interesting. Think, so yeah. there you go, there's the satirist <laughs> picking up on the obvious points. You're, you're a particular fan of his earlier work, yeah. aren't you? Yeah. Which, which are the books that really haunt you? I think Norwegian Wood for sure, that's the first one. It's in some ways the easiest of his earlier works because it's a very simple story. There are odd elements to it but it's a very kind of very moving haunting story um 
how to build Wonderland and the end of the world, that's, that's another one where it's a bit more difficult that there are these parallel stories, these two parallel stories, and one is like a fable where no one has any names, there are no, there are none of the cultural references that kind of populate all his other works, almost to an annoying point. That strand of that book is completely devoid of all those details, but the, the strangeness, the, the magic realism aspect of it, I find really, it's an abstraction that appeals greatly. You're a completist. You've read everything, have you? No, not everything. There's so much. I mean, IQ84 is such a long book. I haven't really tackled that one yet. But you will? Oh, definitely, yeah. I think I like taking my time with his work. I haven't read them as soon as they've come out. I've tended to just let them simmer. Well, we've talked a lot about his earlier work, mm. but now let's focus in on this one. What do you think of yeah. it? You're, you're not quite, you haven't quite finished it yet, no, I'm, st- I'm just halfway through it. I'm... It's intriguing because there's very little of the magic realism that I loved so much in his earlier works, but it's definitely still there. And it's almost, again, that idea of the strangeness being hidden or being disguised that continues. You you get the feeling that even though he's describing something quite normal, a group of friends and one feeling slightly ostracized or um, a friendship, basically, and the loss of friendship, that they're quite normal things, but you still, with every page, feel a a whole depth of strangeness that kind of keeps you going. Well, thank you very much. If you're listening to this podcast, you may very well be one of the millions who has already read The Colourless Tsukuru. If so, let us know what you think on the podcast page on www.theguardian.com books. For those who haven't yet managed to get their hands on it, it's available from Harville Secker. For more great downloads, go to theguardian.com slash audio.